Uh, so our current series is called Things Jesus Never Said. You see it on the screen. And today is part three. Thank you so much again for voting and submitting some of the things to us that you guys know that Jesus never said and that you guys want us to preach about. For week one, Lesecho did God will never give you more than you can handle. And last week I handled God wants you happy. So today, uh, let me just get to the right theme here. So this is the theme of our series. And today we are going to look at it doesn't matter what you believe. So there's a theme for today. It doesn't matter what you believe. Now, obviously, guys, that is something that Jesus never said, right? But it is something that we often hear uh, said by other people. Now, this is really only half a sentence, I would say, because it's usually followed uh, by it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are sincere, as long as you are a good person. As long as you don't hurt anyone, as long as you make a difference, as long as you leave other people alone. That's usually what this sentence sounds like. Now, if you are a Christian, and specifically in this church called Fellowship City, I know that you don't say this, right? We are a gospel-centered church, so now we spelt it out in the beginning. And we've made the case in our previous series uh, that we are a gospel-centered church, right? The sermon's name is We Are Gospel-Centered. You are welcome to go and review it again. We looked at the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. Now, this is rather a sentence, I would say, uh, spoken to people in general, right? And people who I believe need to hear the gospel more clearly because uh, this sentence actually is not the truth. Now, it's a popular saying, I would say, uh, in public discourse, right? Think about television shows, talk shows where people would be interviewed. They would mention God and uh, it would sound very general, right? As long as you it doesn't really matter what you believe or it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you are. You would read an interview done by people uh, or done with people in magazines about what their lives are like and what they're currently experiencing. I don't know if you guys have even noted, but at award ceremonies, specifically film and music awards, people would take the Grammy or the Oscar or the, the Academy Award. That's the right word. And they would say, I just want to thank God for this. Uh, after a match, uh, rugby, soccer or whatever other sport you watch, you would probably, you would, mostly see or often see in post-match interviews, people would say, uh, we thank God for the victory today, or we just want to give God all the glory. So guys, you see in our public space at the moment, uh, the problem isn't God, right? Just as in our major world religions, there's no real resistance, I would say in our context, to the name God or the word God or the understanding that there is a God, right? Specifically because in other major world religions, there is also a God. I'll circle back to that a little bit later. I just want to check um, what I do have on the next slide for you. I'm just going to stop sharing my screen. I think you guys have seen enough of the theme. Then I can see a little bit more of your faces as we go. Okay, so Jesus as a human and as a character to be found in the Bible, actually also isn't the problem, right? People often like Jesus. They like what he said. Uh, they liked his teachings. They like his ethics. They like the compassion he had on people. They like the simplicity with which he lived. The reaction usually comes in, in terms of resistance to our faith, when we say that uh, Jesus is the only way to God, or that Jesus is the only way in which we can know God, right? That's the hard nut to crack or the tough thing to swallow for most people is that part of what we call the exclusivity of the gospel. 
it was hard for people to accept in the first century when Jesus lived and when all the apostles wrote the New Testament, and it's still hard for us today. And the reason for that is that the, the world in which Jesus lived was called a polytheistic world, right? Many gods who you can worship through many channels and through many means for many things. And there was also a lot of idolatry, right? Putting trust in things to give me something back. We also still live in that world, right? We have many religions, which means that we live in a world that is polytheistic. People believe that there are many gods. And we also believe, uh, we also live in a world uh, full of idolatry, right? Not necessarily people bowing down to statues, but people putting their trust in something to give them fulfillment and to give them life. Now, that is why our teaching text this morning is such an important text for us. And I would want to argue that if you've been a Christian for some time, this text actually comes to you on the same level as a scripture like John uh, chapter 3, verse 16, right? It's one of those scriptures that if you quote it and just start the sentence, people would often be able to complete it, right? You've heard John chapter 14, verse 6 and 7 many, many times before. Okay, so here's our map for today. Don't know how many of you use Google Maps, but I like the urgency with which the lady on Google Maps tells me, you are on the fastest route. Okay, so this is going to be our fastest route to the end goal today. We're going to study the teaching text deeply, like we always do, because we are a Bible-believing church. And then we are going to consider the ministry, the resurrection, and the message of Jesus. Okay, and in that we'll circle back to our teaching text, and then we will land the plane with a simple line, it matters greatly what you believe. And by that point, we'll have made a case for it, and we'll have made a case for why we, why we should say this to people. So it's a simple sermon structure, we're going to study the text, we're going to consider those three things, and then we will land that it actually does matter what we believe. Okay, so let's look at the teaching text again. Just a couple of uh, remarks that I want to make. The first thing is that the disciples' lack of understanding gives Jesus the opportunity, as, he, uh, as it did often, to clarify the revelation that he just gave. So if you look at the beginning of chapter 14, you'll see that Jesus speaks about the Father. He'll speak, he speaks about the Father's house, and he speaks about where he is going. And when the disciples then ask him a question, he has the opportunity to clarify what he just said to them. Now, as I said, the saying is commonly recognized and ranked up top as some of the most popular sayings of Jesus. Now, here's the reason. The reason for this verse being so popular is it is a classical summary of what we call the doctrine of salvation, how you get saved, because it is based entirely on Jesus Christ. Let me tell you what I mean. Despite the coordination of the three terms, right? It's way first and then truth and then life. It's clear that the emphasis falls on the first because the statement explains what Jesus just said in verse four. So Jesus has been speaking about a way and he's been speaking about going. And then he says, I am that way. So if you want to follow me, this is where the emphasis will lie. And then he says at the end of our teaching text that no one will come to the Father except through him. So it's clear to us that the emphasis is on the word way. Now, that doesn't mean that the second and the third terms are unimportant, guys. Please hear me correctly. Here's what I think about them. They explain how it is that Jesus is the way. Think about it. So Jesus is the way. There's the emphasis. 
and he's the way because he is the truth right he's the revelation of god and he's also the way because he is the life because the life of god resides in him when he was a human being and in him through faith for us now Woo! what a tongue twister it's kind of a difficult sentence but it's really important for us to understand why and how jesus is the way so we'll definitely circle back to the life theme uh, once we consider the truth of his resurrection and of his message okay so now here's what jesus says right let me make it plain to you he says that i will lead you to the father's house and leading you to the father's house entails me revealing the truth right about the goal of your own existence and that is to be in the relationship with god and if you want to reach the goal of your own existence you, there's a way to reach it and i'm going to make it possible for you to reach that and the way i'm going to make it possible for you is to grant you entrance into the father's house let me use the illustration to make it plain for us imagine that jesus takes you by hand and he walks you to a house right he shows you the house he speaks to you about the house he tells you what's going on in the house he tells you how phenomenal this house is how you will find everything you need in this house how you will find a loving father in this house how you will find your life's purpose in this house how this house is the place where you want to be and love and then jesus says come in come in there's entrance for you because i've granted you that entrance let me show you follow me let's do this let's live that is really what jesus is on about in this chapter now what's important for us to know especially i think in the context of verse six and seven that sanaba read is this isn't something that will only happen to us one day part of it will only realize one day when we are in god's full presence right where there's no more sickness pain and ill health and death after jesus has come again and after everything came to an end right the proper theological word we use for it is it's got an eschatological realization it means at the end it'll all come true but this verse that Sanaba read to us today, our teaching text, this popular line that Jesus has said, is not only a one-day thing. It's important for you and I to know that Jesus is also the way to God now, in the present. So that illustration I just gave you of this is the house, this is what's going on in the house, I want you to come in, that is something we can do now through faith. And then in verse 7, Jesus says he's the mediator of the truth of God. He's the one that gives the life that comes from God. And then he says to know him is to know the Father. I mean, did you guys see that verse there? You do know and you have seen. It's all in Jesus. It's all in Jesus. Here's a quote I found in one of the commentaries that I read as I prayed for the sermon. And I think it's so beautiful. It's got a nice rhythmic ring to it as well. Here it is. It says, all truth is God's truth, as all life is God's life. But God's truth and God's life are incarnate in Jesus. Can I read that again? All truth is God's truth, as all life is God's life. But God's truth and God's life is incarnate. It's embodied 
right? It's poured into Jesus himself. Now, this is the right moment, I would say, in the sermon to circle back to my remark in the intro about the public space and the references people make to God. And I also think that at this point we should mention other world religions because these two verses that we just read so clearly shows the difference between other world religions and Christianity. All world religions are not the same. It's important for us to state that as Christians. There is some truth to be found in all world religions. There is some beauty to be found in all, true, uh, uh, in all world religions, but they are definitely not the same. And probably the best way to explain how they are not the same is no other world religion has a house. No other world religion has a father. No other world religion has someone taking you to the house, inviting you into the house and granting you access into the house. That's probably the best way for us to describe how we are different. Think about this. And this is really general, guys. Okay, so if you are expert in religious studies, okay, be gentle on me because we don't have hours to unpack all world religions. But let me just make a few quick references. So if you think about a religion called Buddhism, Buddhism has no God. It has no deity. It also has a totally different view of time and where everything is headed. Right? Buddhism is a cyclical faith that believes that everything will eventually go on and there'll be many life cycles. There'll be no fulfillment in the end. And in the end, you will enter into the great nothing. That's Buddhism. If you think about Hinduism, Hinduism is probably best known for the fact that there is a God, but he's an impersonal God. And the way that you can eventually get to this impersonal God is through other deities and through other ways. If you think about Buddhism and Hinduism, just as general world faiths, neither of those two religions offer you forgiveness of your sins. Neither of those two religions offer you a supernatural help to get out of the state you are in, into something better or into something new. If you think about Islam as a global religion, they do worship a personal God, definitely. There's no secondary gods in the religion Islam. And there's definitely, just like in Christianity, a total ban on idols. But the difference between Islam and Christianity, amongst others, is there's no, uh, uh, your standing with this personal God who you can know depends on your own religious devotion. It depends on your own religious works. You have to hustle, grind to be in right standing with God. And you can actually never know if you are. And that's why you have to keep on returning into the cycle of repentance. Hope that this God finds you in a state that he accepts you. And you have to do that again and again and again and again. You have to tick all the boxes of this religion to be in good standing with him. I know South Africa is not necessarily that massive on the New Age movement, but that's also something that I, can, that I think can be called a global phenomenon. So in the New Age movement, there's no personal God, right? There's just this higher consciousness, this connection to the universe or to the cosmos, everything we see. And we ought to be in a relationship with it, but I actually don't know how, but I know that I should care, but I don't actually know how to care. That's more or less a description of something that we can call New Age faith. Now, next to that, put down Christianity. Think about the house metaphor that I just 
gave you for us as an illustration to understand this. And all of a sudden, we have a personal God, a personal God, who sent his son Jesus so that we can know him. This is who I am. See me in full color. Experience me. Hear me. Like in your context, your frame of reference, I'm coming to you as a human being so that you can understand me, right? So that I don't feel foreign to you, so that I experience everything that you experience, so that when I speak to you, that you know that I understand you. That's our God. And then when he does that, he says, I want to show you love. I want to show you grace. I want to give you forgiveness. That is our faith, guys. That is what makes us unique and that's why jesus said what he said there's a father and there's a house and there's a way and i'm going there and if you want to come it is only through me it's not a raffle it's not a ticket buy it's not a risk you take it's not you putting your name to chance it is an actual experience revelation that you can trust. Think about that, guys. When Jesus explains the house and invites you into it, he has showed you what's happening in the house already. There's no doubt for us to think about, will I find love and will I find grace and will I find compassion? No, not at all. Because he has showed us already. And when we know him, we know the Father. That's the study of the teaching text done. Don't you guys just love it? Huh? The Bible, two verses, it could keep us busy for hours. And let me tell you, we've really only scratched the surface of these two verses. I was nerding out so deep that I had to <gasps> come back up from the rabbit hole and go, Meyer, Meyer, just remember to make this applicable, right? The Greek is great and the syntax is phenomenal and the chapter structure of John 14 is brilliant, but that is not what God sheep need to hear necessarily in this sermon, okay? I'm always keen for nerding out afterwards. Now, guys, if we need to persuade people to believe this, if we need to make a case that this is actually true, right, in the space of it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are. It doesn't matter, you, uh, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are in that space. I think we should make great effort to reflect on our own story. And I think we should make great effort to understand our own story of faith and of salvation. Let me tell you why. Because stories resonate with people way more than logical, bullet-pointed ideas and propositions. And I think that's why conversations about faith or evangelistic conversation, conversations often gets met with this, listen, dude, that's your truth. I've got my truth. doesn't really matter what you believe as long as I don't hurt anyone, and as long as I'm sincere. Because people think that having a conversation about faith is all having a conversation about logical propositions and ideas. Now, with that, I'm not saying that doctrine and propositions are unimportant. I'm just saying that I think in the world we live in, where people say it doesn't matter what you believe, we have to be able to tell them stories. So just as a quick flash reflection, how well do you know your story? How well can you tell your own story? when you are asked to tell it. And I'll show you as we continue through the next part of the sermon why this is actually very important. Okay, so I said we're going to consider three things. I'm going to fly through them. I am keeping my eye on the time. 
We're going to consider the message of Jesus, of the ministry of Jesus. We're going to consider the resurrection real quick because we spent some time on Easter weekend. And then we're going to consider the message of Jesus. And then I'm going to come back to the question, well, does it actually then matter what you believe? So let me show you a scripture, which is to be found in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2. I love the design of the scripture, so I thought that I wanted to show it to you anyway. So check this, Mark chapter 2, verses 16 to 17. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Okay, so let me just pause there for a second. I'm going to leave the, uh, I'm going to leave the scripture up just as I make a few remarks. This portion of scripture sets forth Jesus' whole ministry of forgiveness, guys. This whole chapter speaks about the forgiveness of sins by Jesus. He calls Levi in this chapter, who's a toll collector. He calls him into discipleship. He calls him into his table. In the beginning of the chapter, we have that well-known story of Jesus asking the question, what's easier, to say that your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk, right? Another rabbit hole, resist, Meyer, resist, Meyer. But I want, to, I want you to see that the call of Levi in this portion of scripture explicitly illustrates the purpose of Jesus' coming to call to him sinners, right? Jesus was always charged, actually in an incriminating way, about his conduct towards people who were alienated from God and who were alienated from his people. And obviously this conduct of him, even though some people took offense of it, was in line with the purpose of his coming. And that is to heal the sick and to restore the sinner. And in this, uh, only these couple of verses, we see the width of the circle of disciples, right? This circle even includes people like you and I, toll collectors and sinners. So let me ask you this question. When did your conversion happen? When did your conversion happen? My conversion came the moment I was convicted of my sin. The moment I knew that I was sick. The moment I knew that I needed a miracle. That is when it happens. That's the ministry of Jesus. So if we consider his ministry, wanting to forgive you for sins, wanting to heal you and wanting to restore you, it does matter what you believe. We have to believe that we are in wrong standing with God before we can come to faith. We have to believe that we are sick and broken and that someone had to fix this. We have to believe this. And when we do, the ministry of Jesus reaches us. And when the ministry of Jesus reaches us, oh, how sweet the sound of that amazing grace. One of the questions that we'll do in our breakouts a little bit later is, how is your changed life a miracle? How is your changed life a miracle? Think about this, guys. Where you've been and where you are now, if you are a Christian. Think about the restoration and the healing and the forgiveness. That is what Jesus does. It's specific. 
And if we consider it, we have to realize that it does matter what we believe. Your sincerity won't save you or heal you. Your good works won't save you or heal you. Your generosity won't save you or heal you. None of it will. Think about your own story. It was the moment when you said, God, I've made a real mess of this. I need salvation. Please let your grace flow over me. Let's consider Jesus' resurrection. So in our Easter Sunday service, I made a case for why the resurrection is true and why the resurrection is important for the Christian faith. So if you want to review that, you're welcome to go and check out um, the YouTube video for that. But I want to show you something uh, that is quoted in the book of Acts, and I also need to plug in my power cord. Otherwise, I shall drop the mic and just disappear from this call. Hang on a sec. Hang on a sec. I just need the little uh, orange light here to show that it's charging. There we go. Back on. Look at this. Uh, it, it's not a throwaway verse at all. It's maybe just a verse that we don't often read in Acts chapter 3. This is the Apostle Peter speaking. Here's what he says. You denied the holy and righteous one. Okay. Do you guys see those two exclusive terms? Holy, set apart, different. Righteous, okay, um, putting everything back in its right place. That's the context of that word. And ask for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life. So there the word life pops up again. Whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. Okay, so there we go. Once again, it's a historical fact that Jesus was raised from the dead. He is alive. Now, I don't have to make the case for it. I do just want to ask you this question. Do you remember, if you're a Christian, meeting Jesus? Do you remember that? Do you remember that moment of engaging with him and experiencing him for the first time as real? I don't have a category for it. I don't have a word that can explain it. I can't say it is like, but I am telling you that I am experiencing him as real. He is alive. And because he's alive, I can know him. I can be in a relationship with him. And because I can be in a relationship with him, I experience his love and his grace and his mercy on a daily basis. Can you tell that story to other people when they say to you, it doesn't matter what you believe? I can only experience this if I believe that he actually lives. So, sorry, guys, I'm getting, a, getting very passionate here about this theme. You can actually only experience God if you believe that he lives. And here's the Apostle Peter saying, we are witnesses to this. We saw it. It happened. How does that make you feel? For us to do evangelism and for us to be able to debunk the line, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are, we should tell people about that. We should tell people how our lives were before we met this resurrected Christ. And we should tell people how our lives are after meeting this resurrected Christ. We are the only religion with a Savior who is alive and who can be known. The only religion with that you don't have to wonder you don't have to wonder what the way is you don't have to wonder what it's like the stuff that i just mentioned to you is stuff that won't do it for you only being in a relationship with him will let me do a little summary and uh, then we'll land the plane here there's a difference between religion 
and relationship. Fooey, you've heard this many times. Okay, so this is not me dishing up something new. You've heard many times that there's a difference between religion and relationship. Let me just describe it like this. Religion is all about what I do, because what I do will put me in good standing with God. Relationship is all about what Jesus has done. It's in the perfect tense. Religion is all about me, right? Because my focus is self-centered, because I need to be in good standing with God, and I have to sort out my own life, my own spiritual disciplines. Relationship is all about Jesus. It's, it's outwardly focused. It's the sole focus on Him and being in relationship with Him. If we want to play with language a little bit more, religion is all about do. Relationship is all about done, right? And I assume that if we were in an actual physical space now, I would have heard some clicks here, right? We don't have to do because it is done. That's what Jesus said on the cross. It's all done in the perfect tense. That's the word he used uh, while saying that on the cross. Religion says, if I obey God, he will love me. Relationship says, because God loves me, I can obey him. This is what Jesus says. Know me, know my father, and love in his house. That's what he says. I created you to be in relationship with him and to experience life and life in fulfillment. Once again, let me ask you the question. Do you know that life? Is that something that you experience on a daily basis? If I would ask you as someone who does not believe the gospel, what's the difference between life now and life before meeting Christ? Are you able to tell a story of how you just experience life in fulfillment? Whether the sun shines or whether there's stormy clouds, whether you are up or whether you are down, whether you've got enough or whether you lack at that point, I still experience that I'm more alive than I ever was because I'm in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Is that something that you can testify to? Can you speak about how you respond to God's goodness and grace instead of having it feel like an obligation? Can you tell that story? I've often used the metaphor of marriage. Now, I know not everyone is married, and I know not everyone is happily married, uh, but I, I am married, right? So it's a good illustration for me. Like, ask me to speak about Marie, guys, and I will. Ask me what it's like to be in a relationship with Marie, and I will tell you. Ask me about what's my favorite thing to do with Marie, and I'll gladly share it. Ask me about when was the last time I spoke to her and what we spoke about, and I'll be able to recall it. Why? Because she's real, and I'm in a relationship with her. I live with her. My life revolves around her and our kids. I don't make any decisions in a day without taking them into account. In the same way, the Spirit moves into the house when you're in a relationship with God. And that closeness has to be there. Or let me flip the metaphor. Jesus invites you into the Father's house so that you can live there and that you can live with Him. It does matter what you believe. It does matter what you believe. Otherwise, you will never truly love. You'll keep on looking, but you won't find. Let me read you a quote. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you do know him and you have seen him. 
That is something that Jesus said. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we stand in awe of the fact that you invite us into the Father's house and that you give us the way to do it and that we can experience that even now. You are so good and so gracious and so loving to us. We often hear that it doesn't matter what we believe. We live in a world that... Um, we live in a world that makes you vague, Lord Jesus. We live in a world that minimizes you. We live in a world that like what you did on earth, uh, but that doesn't necessarily want to believe in only you is the only way to, to get to the Father. Please help us to hold on to these words. Please help us to faithfully testify about your goodness, your grace, your love, and your mercy, and what life is like in your house when we get asked for it and when, you, when we are prompted by your spirit to do it. Make us faithful witnesses who believes uh, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. We pray that in your name. Amen.